0: Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. Um, I'm having a great week and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Robert Gillette. Selling your service has as much to do with tranquility as tactics. Anyone who hopes to be successful without selling their soul needs more than just sales training. They have to be at peace with sales. As many as 85% of people in sales never intended to get into the business of selling, which means they're untrained and underprepared. To succeed in sales, you need to take your profession as seriously as any other professional does. Attorneys have to complete so many hours of continuing education every year. CPAs have to complete continuing education every year. How many do you plan on completing? If you wanna be compensated like an executive, you need to act like an executive, and that's where Reclaiming Sales comes in. Robert Gillette has experience as an IT employee, salesman, middle manager, and business owner in more industries than he'd like to admit. As the owner of Reclaiming Sales, He hosts a podcast, he's a sales coach and consultant, and facilitates a book club for anyone who sells anything, which is basically everyone. Robert's happily married with two children and a San Francisco Bay Area native. Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, and fantastically researched introduction. (laughs) That was very nicely done. (laughs) No worries. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. Uh, We met through ProVisors, which I've met so many amazing people through ProVisors. How long have you been involved in ProVisors? Uh 2018
1: was when I joined. So however long that's been.
0: Very cool. Yeah. Last October was my one year anniversary. Okay. So yeah, finding nice. it really good. Love it. All right. Um, so yeah, I want to come back, talk about that, talk about uh reclaiming sales um and the process. I've talked to a lot of people who said I didn't intend to get into sales, but here I am. So I think you're right about that. Uh talk about that and uh some other things you have going on. But before we get started, I've got 10 questions for you, sir. Uh, these are questions, uh, listeners, you know from the TV show Inside the Actor Studio, where host James Lipton asks these questions of his Hollywood stars from TV, film, and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So Robert, if you're ready, 10 questions. I'm ready. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Uh, you know, I really like the word nuance these
1: days. The older I get, the more I realize there's just nuance
0: To almost everything. Almost everything. Absolutely. Very cool. What's uh, your least favorite word?
1: Uh, Oddly enough, yes is probably my least favorite word these days. I just finished reading a book called Never Split the Difference, Mm -hmm. where it's a negotiation book. And uh, yes is just a word we use all the time when we don't mean it. He says there's like three kinds of yes. There's yes, I'll buy from you. Yes, I want to learn more. And yes, I just want this meeting to be over. And if I say no, I think you won't let me go. Okay. And I just feel like yes is just, we need like
0: three or five words for yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Very cool. All right. Uh, question three, what turns you on? Uh, gosh,
1: um, I really love, as an individual, I just love aha moments. Um, if I could, if I could, if my job could be to stand up in front of a group of people and, and have a discussion or lead a discussion about a very controversial topic and have half the group go, oh, I get it halfway through, that would just be the best job in the world. Awesome. Um, what turns you off? Hmm. Gosh, there's a. An old, old Hebrew proverb that says something along the lines, I'm going to mess it up but something along the lines of like a fool despises teaching. Hmm. And I just, I really struggle to understand the actively disengaged with learning, you know, people that just intentionally don't want to learn that drives me a little bit nuts.
0: Exactly. Very cool. All right. What sound or noise do you love? My kids laughing. Good job. What sound or noise do you hate? My kid's doing most other
1: things. No, um, (laughs) I was cursed. My dad used to joke that I had a a disorder called um, uh, volume modulation disorder where I just, I'm so loud. And I definitely, my kids inherited that. They'll just be regular talking at like a hundred decibels and you're like, Oh my gosh. So yeah.
0: All right. Question seven. What is your favorite curse word?
1: Uh, You know what? One of my favorite curse words is the word moron, believe it or not. okay. (laughs) Uh, I just, I I learned at an early age that, or someone taught me when I was young that people swear when they can't think of anything better to say. And while I certainly do drop one in for emphasis once in a while, I remember I was in a fight with a kid in high school and he was just swearing at me. And I just like, what are you, some kind of (laughs) moron. And it just was better than any F-bomb he was dropping. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Good job. All right. Question eight, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt?
1: Would I like to attempt? So that's tough. Uh, I, I can tell you uh, the the profession that I always, that I probably missed my calling in life, believe it or not, was lawyer. Okay. I've been told I would have made a good lawyer, but when I was a kid, there were only two kinds of lawyers, the kind that put criminals in jail and the kinds that kept them out. And uh, if I had known that a lawyer can be more like a mediator at times, I probably would have really enjoyed that. Awesome. All
0: right. What profession would you not like to do?
1: Oh gosh. My wife is a, she's a hydrogeologist. So there's a licensed geologist in California. You have to like have five years experience and uh, pass the equivalent of a bar. It's like three tests over three years. It's wow miserable. And I saw her once looking at an Excel spreadsheet with 8,000 cells filled in, and she was looking for mathematical errors. And I went, that would be the day I quit. (laughs) If you handed me that, I would just quit right then. I'd find a whole new career.
0: I would be very bad at that. All right. Very cool. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates?
1: Uh, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done.
0: Good job. All right. Robert, we're going to come back, talk about how you got your start, talk about uh, reclaiming sales and what that process kind of looks like how you help companies and everything like that. All right. So we'll talk about that and more right after this. So listeners stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back, and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my business success mastermind group. Join my business success mastermind group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Robert Gillette. Robert, thanks again for agreeing to be on the podcast. It's good to have you here, sir. My pleasure. So you are a San Francisco area native. You don't hear people that are native. Everybody's moved or gone somewhere. You stuck around the area.
1: Yeah, for better or for worse. I feel like uh, I joke with my friends. Well, first of all, I've tried to leave a couple of times. I lived in LA for six months. My wife and I just got back from Knoxville. We seriously considered moving there. Um, The Bay Area is a bit of a meat grinder where you, whether you're born here or you come here, the wheels spin. And you end up on one side or the other. And one side kind of spits you out as, as meat. And the other side is like the, I hate to say it this way, but the non-poverty side where you can like afford to live here. And you've maybe picked up some assets or a job that allow you to continue to thrive. And we are very fortunate to be on the not meat grinder side as a family. And so it almost, it almost traps you here a little bit yeah. until you're ready to retire.
0: Yeah, because it's crazy expensive up there. My niece and nephew had a place in San Jose. And it was like 3200 a month for a little one-bedroom, tiny one-bedroom apartment or something like that. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, it's gotten, and it's gotten even worse in the pandemic. And mm-hmm. I remember just even before the pandemic when it wasn't as bad, talking to someone who was making $140,000 a year as a 26-year-old art director at an agency, a marketing mm-hmm. agency, talking about her, how she shared an apartment with another person. And it was $2,800 a month for a down, like to share an apartment with a person in San Francisco. And I was like, wow, that's just, she was basically living paycheck to paycheck. And I was just blew my mind that that's not enough money to
0: exist in this world. Exactly. So yeah, I grew up in Southern California, Los Angeles County, and uh, couldn't wait to get out. So I am, I am happy in Atlanta. Well, partially in Atlanta, my wife and I are now roamers so we're traveling the country. So yeah, it's
1: very popular uh, with the millennials. So you're doing it electively. The millennials absolutely. who can't afford a house just do it because they have no other
0: choice. Yeah. So, definitely. so how did you get your start? Tell me. Tell me about the early days, your college and everything like that. Where'd you go? So
1: I actually dropped out of college after my at the very beginning of my second year. Um, mm-hmm. There was, a, you know, I just a combination of um, not fully understanding really what it would take. And then, also, just some financial stuff hit my my father 's family, so my family pretty hard, but I say his family because it was kind of his money that that got blown up in the in the two thousand and one crash, and mm. so I unexpectedly had to drop out of college i wasn 't poor enough to get really help and uh, we you know it was just weird, and student loans weren 't as easy to get as they are these days, and so I ended up leaving college to regroup for a year, and then I just ended up making so much money i didn't go back but I started off mainly as a project manager in construction, okay, and did that for a handful of years, and then in 2010, you know, I ended up losing my job there as a result of the the second crash of my lifetime. It's interesting as a as a as a late as an older millennial, I've had several once in a lifetime events hit. Yeah. You know, uh, so there was the 2001 crash that killed college for me, the 2010 crash killed the housing market. Oddly enough, I also got married right in 2008 and bought a house. So now I have a house that's upside down and all this crazy stuff. It was it was just a strange time, but that turned out to actually be a real blessing for us. Yeah. Uh, so I, and then I owned photography businesses. I was an IT guy. I owned a retail store. I just did a, a bunch of different things. Yeah. And it wasn't until 2000, I think, 15, where I really found my calling in life which was sales. Nice. And I ran from my whole life. Grandpa yeah. was in sales, dad was in sales. I promised myself I'd never do it. Right. And then I met a man named Mike Chapet, was the CEO of Insight. He convinced me to go into sales kind of full time, hmm. take it seriously as a career. And man, it was just my calling.
0: Yeah. So what is it about sales? Because I'm I'm the same way as you said, try to stay away from it. I knew people who were in sales. It just always seemed a little shady, a little, I don't know exactly.
1: Like sketchy. smarmy is the word I've come to think of that's it. Smarmy is the, yeah. it gives us a feeling that we can yeah. identify with, but it doesn't really No, It's not used often enough to really attach it to anything. We
0: should use that yeah. more, Smarmy, that's, yeah. that's what I'm
1: stealing it for, smarmy. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I totally identify, yeah. yeah. You
0: know, what is it about sales that, that makes people feel that way though?
1: Uh, it's probably really complex and not the same story for everyone. But the the other word that I've come to associate with smarmy is the word trauma. Mm. That's trauma with a little T, not a capital right. T. Yeah. There are some people that have real trauma in this world, and I don't want to discount that. But I also know that every single person in this world can think back to a moment that they remember as uncomfortable and confrontational and um, gross and smarmy <laughs> around a salesperson or sales experience. And so, you know, I joke around that the first job probably wasn't sales, but I'm almost certain the second job was, you know, we've been, it's been a part of our society since sure. as long as there was something someone wanted. And so we've all, it's, it's so foundational to the function of our society. We're never going to be rid of it. Hmm. And yet it's something we want to pretend doesn't exist. And people say things like, no one wants to buy or everyone wants to buy, no one wants to be sold. And we're like, well, that's just semantics, isn't it? Like there's still, you know, there's still uh, this function, this core function of our society that we want to just ignore and pretend doesn't exist or maybe make go away. And it's just not realistic. And I think that's one of the reasons why we hate salespeople so much is Mm -hmm. because we don't want them to exist, but they're necessary. And so they don't take their job seriously and we don't take them seriously. And, I think this is summed up and I have literally sat in rooms with colleagues where we're at lunch and someone will be talking about the horrible soulless salesperson that cold called them. Yeah. And I'm just in the corner eating my salad going, well, I called 60 people this morning before lunch. So I guess that's <laughs> me. And yeah. uh, they would never say that about me, right. but they definitely would say that about the person that cold called them. Yeah. So it's a very strange relationship.
0: And you, yeah, I think everybody like said has that story. Um, used car salesman is, is one of the big ones that everybody talks about. Oh, my wife, when she was going to get a car, the guy took her keys to test drive for the car she was trading in and refused to give her keys back to her oh, until so she evil. signed the contracts up. That, that kind of stuff. Those are the stories that you oh, hear. Gosh. And everybody bases everyone, everybody's experience on that. But we're, we're all involved in sales. We sell every day. I sell going out to dinner to my wife. I sell the idea, right? So we're always sell broccoli
1: to my kids, man. Exactly. So.
0: <laughs> you could bottle that. You could yeah, teach people how to do that. There's a Udemy course for you. But yeah, everybody, we're involved in sales all the time. And I don't think people look at things that way. Yeah, it's, uh, I think, and
1: I think it does us all a disservice. One of the things that I'm trying to combat right now is that even in professional circleizers, people that have been doing it for 20, 30 years, you know, their profession, I'll say, thing, I do have this whole talk that I do for 15 minutes that's called You're in Sales, I'm Sorry. And I lay out three different disruptive ideas. The first one being that if you're improvisers, you're in sales. There wouldn't be an economic reason to pay the fee to join the community if you weren't. And that alone, like, no, I'm a lawyer. I'm a litigator. I'm 20 years experienced litigator. You know, I'm like, yeah, that's great but you're also in sales. And they say, no, I'm an advisor. I help people. Okay, yeah. But at some point you ask them for money, right? Okay, well then you're in sales. And if you can't reconcile that as a person and a professional, you're never
0: gonna be able to do it well. Yeah. So is that how you help companies? It's help them understand that sales is not just that, that little cubby hole over here where the guy's making the cold calls. Sales is everything you do in your business.
1: Yeah, so I think it's a part of what I do. Uh, it's it's definitely, I mean, my real day job is coaching MSPs. I call myself um, the owner cloner. My job okay. is to take owners of businesses that, you know, they have a business, a sustainable model, they can sell, they're profitable, but they've hit this growth cap, usually between, you know, realistically three and six million, maybe as much as eight million, where they, they just can't grow anymore because the owner can only do so much. They've tried to hire salespeople in the past and it hasn't worked out and I create the conditions for a salesperson to be hired and be successful. I help them recruit that salesperson. I help grow them and mature them and then release them into the job and get the owner off their back so they can be successful. That's what I do in my day job. And certainly a part of that is the sales, kind of this idea of sales reframing. Um, But what I really, what I do outside of my day job is I have this book club and I'm I'm just trying to, I have a podcast and I'm going to be releasing some courses in 2023. And nice. I'm really just trying to, my big, hairy, audacious goal is that my grandchildren <laughs> would be able to go to college and get a degree in sales. And that would okay. be super normal. Like, oh, wow. so he did accounting, he did communications, she went into sales and it's just like, no one's weird about it because if we can reframe, if we can quote reclaim mm-hmm. the sales profession as something honorable something that uh, people don't do because they failed at everything else they tried, that they don't do it just because they want to steal from people. If we can reclaim that as something honorable, then we can start to build a different language around it. And maybe we can uh, start to separate the bad ones from the good ones. And then there's not really an incentive to be a bad one anymore.
0: Right. Very cool. So when you're working with companies, um, and I work with a lot of small to mid-sized companies, usually it's a business owner that is also trying to go out and do the sales and they're not that good at it. Mm-hmm. What would you, would you recommend that they find somebody to specialize in sales or would you try to have them get some, some coaching or training to be better at it?
1: Uh, it's really tough to, to know. And, and I say that it's, it's so I you know, grew up mostly doing this in the outsourced IT industry, which is a very complex sale. You're selling promises to someone who the last guy made the same promises and lied mm-hmm. to him. It's like trying to sell someone on a marriage on the first date after they got a divorce. It's just very difficult. And it requires you to have a a very good understanding of people and the sales process. And so, people that are business owners that find themselves successful, they're usually what I call alpha techs. So, they're people that did it at a high level in Mm -hmm. terms of the service. And then they looked around one day and said, I could probably make more money if I do this by myself. So, then they did that and they, fell face forward into enough clients that they had to build a business to one or 3 million and they're generally a smart person and so they figured that out but when it comes to teaching someone else to do that they can't separate their success from best practices and so you know again mike chapet that guy that i love he's he'll readily admit that you take a qualified prospect and put him in the room for 2 hours he'll sell him he has no idea how But he does. He just, he is Mike Chapit in the room for two hours and then they buy from him. Mm -hmm. And he couldn't make that a process. He couldn't explain to a guy who's six months on the job how to be a Mike Chapit. It's just not doable because Mike is so smart and so unique and so experienced as a lot of these business owners are. So probably one of the first steps for anyone that's really considering hiring their first sales process or their, their first salesperson is figuring out that Petri dish that I mentioned earlier. What tools do they need? What processes do they need? What training do they need? What is that kind of 30% that you know that they need to know? And what's the 70% that's just you that is never going to be replicable and you have to find a way to replace with something else?
0: Wow. Yeah, because I know uh consulting. A lot of times we'd be called in to do. Um, part of the sales process is is getting the the technical side of things and explaining to the customer. You know, the sales guy says, "Hey, they can do all this." We come in and kind of show them what it would look like and how it would we feel. You know, the, but you're right. There's a lot of that stuff that the business owner, who's technically great at what he does, is not that good at sales. Maybe trying to teach somebody his 20 years of experience. That's mm-hmm. That's not easy. What do you look for when you're looking for a salesperson? Is there certain characteristics or traits you look for?
1: Uh, yes and no. Uh, a big part of... So there's the things that that a salesperson has to have that are like, you know, uh, pass-fail for me. And then there's the things that like the owner needs to see to be able to trust and work with this person. Okay. So uh, for me personally, uh, one of the things that I, I learned from a mentor of mine, Dave Saygraves, is what you have to do is just, if you can get a sales guy in a room, you know, I say guy, but this works for women too. It's not just a guy thing. I'm just pardon my gender uh, normative speak, but uh, if you can get a salesperson in a room for like two to three hours, they just cannot fake it for that long. It is exhausting to lie. Mm. It just is. And so you have to, and, and salespeople are good at sales, and they want the job. So one of the things you have to do is is just figure out how to get past the salesperson to the person
0: okay.
1: to figure out what's really in there, because they're going to put their, their best foot forward. It's human nature and they're very good at sales. So the first thing you have to do is figure out how to get past the salesperson to the real person. Okay. There's some, you know, obviously lots of ways to do that, but time is just the easiest one. You just rope a dope them for like two hours. They get tired and then, you know, near the end of that 10, like the last 10% of that time, you're gonna get glimpses at the real person. So that's the first thing. And what I'm just looking for is honesty. That's my first pass fail is you know, would I trust this person with my credit card for the weekend? Would I put mm. you know my wife in a car with them and let them drive down, you know, two hours away to pick up something I ordered online? Wow. Like just, do I trust them? Yeah. You know, and it doesn't have to necessarily be that bar, but when you look at them, do you trust them? Because this person is going to make potentially multi-million dollar decisions for your company. They're going yeah. to represent your brand uh, to prospects who talk to other prospects. There's a reputational component. They're going to make promises you may have to keep. You have to be able to trust them with expense yeah. reports and not micromanage them. It's, it's a, the trust is very important.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Handing them your credit card for the weekend. That, yeah. <laughs> You've got to be able to trust them with that. And I guess if you can find those elements of, of, of trust, um, integrity, and things like that, you can teach them the rest of the stuff, right? They know the process of selling, and they just need to know the product or service. Area.
1: Yeah, and and there, are, the, sales hasn't changed pretty much um, since it was invented. You know, there's new ways of explaining it. There's new tactics. There's popular methodologies. But people have been the same since the beginning of time. Sales is pretty much the same. The apparatus changes, but yeah. the concepts of sales. Once you understand them, they'll follow you for a lifetime. Hmm. And it reminds me of I had a PE coach one time. He said that when he's recruiting for the ultimate frisbee team. He's just looking for people that can run really fast. (laughs) If you can run really fast for an hour, I'll teach you to throw the disc. There you go. (laughs) Like ultimate Frisbee is just running, 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 running. And so, you know, I agree. If I can find some core values that they can prove to me in a, in a, uh, over an interview process, I'm going to have the things I look for. And once I find them great, the owner is going to have their non-negotiables when they have those great, we'll teach them how to be good at sales. Um and that's, I think, far more important than finding someone who has X amount years experience in Y industry.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I try to teach my, my clients, you know, hire for the culture you're trying to build. If you can get somebody in that fits your culture, you can teach them everything else. You know, if they've got the desire to, to learn, their honesty, integrity, all those things are, are there, you can teach them the rest.
1: Yeah, as long as you don't have a garbage culture, which a lot yeah. of companies do, unfortunately. So yeah. that's that's certainly part of I'm it. I'm working
0: on it, one one yeah. <laughs> client at a time, I'm, I'm working on it.
1: Especially so, if the goal is to clone the owner. Like you have yeah. to be, cloning reveals the bad as well
0: as the good. Yes, and accentuates the bad mm-hmm. sometimes. So, all right, so reclaiming sales. When you work with a company, what do you do when you first go in? What, do you, what are you looking for? And then how do you help them?
1: Yeah, people hate that answer uh, because honestly, for the first, three to six months or more, it's just observing and making sure you understand why things are the way they are. Hmm. IT guys are notorious for coming in and going, this firewall is bad and replacing it. And they don't understand why these cables are run the way they're run. And is it possible that the guy that installed it is a moron? It is possible, but it's probably not 100% the reason. There's always a reason for the way things exist the way they are. And it's a mistake, I believe, to go in and just make a sweeping, dramatic change to what is incorrect in your view without understanding the reason why. So I'm always a big fan on the reason why. Now there are certain things like I absolutely every time do with every client uh, is okay. When's your sales meeting? They go. I don't have a sales meeting. I'm the only guy here. I go. Okay. Well, now we're going to have a sales meeting every week. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that always starts is that regular meeting. Because if you don't have regular meetings, you can't set goals. If you don't have goals, then what are you even doing here? You know, it's it's hard to be able to run any of that stuff without a meeting. So the, the one thing I can say, everyone always needs that they don't have now is a sales, you know, some kind of sales meeting mm-hmm. where I'm holding the, the owner accountable to certain activity because we're eventually going to hold the salesperson accountable for that activity. And they need to know what it feels like and looks like. And so that's, I'm always doing that for like day one on the job. And then it's nice. trying to figure out what is really going on here and why maybe that weird demo that you do that I think is worthless actually serves a great purpose that we need to either replicate or continue doing. I just don't want to make decisions until I know.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's great. That was, we try to do that as consultants going in on a job. Don't just come in and say, here's what I would change. Mm -hmm. Get to know the lay of the land, right? And understand what they're what they're trying to attempt. So, in uh, Mike McCallowitz' his book, Prof, um, sorry, fix this next. He -hmm. talks about his business hierarchy of needs, kind of loosely based on Maslow's hierarchy, right? Where Mm -hmm. the foundation is food, clothing, shelter. That's the first thing you have to have, right? Air. I think
1: air is pretty important too. Is that on the list? I I think so.
0: Yeah. Okay. Food, clothing, (laughs) shelter, and air. Yeah, to breathe. Yeah. Um, In the business hierarchy of needs, the foundation is sales because if you don't have sales, you really don't have a business, mm-hmm. but it's more than just that transaction. There's all the things leading up to the transaction and all the things after the transaction, all the things that the on the customer side, you know, you offer a product and service at this price within this time frame, this level of quality, right? The customer has their agreement that they are going to accept it at that level of quality, that product service in that time frame for that amount of money and everything. Do you work on both sides of that transaction or just mainly on the inside? part of the sales? So I don't, while I advise on the
1: post signature delivery, um, especially when it has to do with um, managing expectations that should have been set or have been set and they Mm. forgot, sometimes I'll deal with that. But my main um, value to a client is helping them get new client monthly recurring revenue. That's my... I believe that is that is the most important. I believe you can hire right out of the box fantastic account managers mm-hmm. to find someone that will help you manage an account and upsell and protect the revenue and reduce churn. That's far easier than than I don't want to say easier, but the path to success is is just there are playbooks you can drop into that and just be successful. That new client revenue is your your nothing will greater affect the culture of the company than hiring and uh, and who hires you because the and, the attitudes the expectations the prices how how that selling process it's all a microcosm for what working with the company will be like yeah. and i remember one of the one of my favorite clients i ever told to take a walk it was a prospect I was referred by a very good client to this other person and we kind of their sales process. And I'm trying to ask some consultative questions, draw them out. And he goes, look, I don't know who you think you are, but I'm the prospect. I'm the client and you're the sales guy. I asked you for a price. Give me a price. And I went, okay, it's $180 per person per month. And he goes, uh, well, what does that include? And I go, nothing for you. In the seven years, or I think at the time I said, in the five years I've been working for this company and the 15, 18 years they've been around, we've never worked with someone under these circumstances. Um, So unless you're willing to start over, (laughs) we're done here because, and he said, and he asked why? And I said, because I'm never going to allow you to talk to my account managers that way. And I never, I don't need the money from your commission so badly that I'm willing to for the next 10 years hear about this crappy client I brought in. Because not only would I be setting them up to talk to my account manager that way, the profitability of the account would be terrible because every time we propose something, they're going to want to negotiate. They're going to treat my help desk like crap. They're going to like, no one is going to want to work with this guy. So even if I could get the money in my bank account, it's not worth the headache for the company or for the garbage I would hear from it. Unless I don't really care about the rest, you know, my company and the people I work with, or I'm so desperate, I'm worried about being fired for not hitting quota. Those are different concerns. But when I'm in my best state, I'm thinking about what this will be like for everyone I work with, because I don't want to be the guy that brings in dirty deals. I want to be the guy that brings them in clean. And so it's more than just is the dollars and cents there. You're defining the culture of your very company. You're defining the experience of working with your company for other people. And that's one of the reasons why the owners tend to be very good at this and the salespeople struggle because the owner is seeing it through the lens of the long view. Yeah. They're looking at their long-term profitability of an asset they're building a salesperson has to sell X by Y or they're fired.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's a great point. Very cool. All right, so this podcast is called The Courage to Lead. We talk about different types of courage, um, intellectual courage we talked about earlier, having that the courage to set aside long-held beliefs or knowledge to make room for new knowledge because there's always new stuff coming up. Um, empathetic courage, social courage. Um, and I love to ask, Where did you find the courage to step away from the nine to five job to kind of start your own business? Where'd that come from?
1: It came from, so I'm a big fan of managing your risk in general. You know, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to put all my money in the stock of one company. So it came from a couple different places. It came from very, the the very first thing is just having, having the resources. So one of the number one reasons why salespeople fail is because they're just so gosh, darn hungry Hmm. because they, they'll go close a deal and earn a big check and go blow it on booze and cars and, or they'll buy too big a house or whatever. And they're living too on the edge. And as a salesperson, I just went. You know what I? You know what would make me really happy is to have like a year of expenditures in an account somewhere. It can be in a brokerage account or savings. Can't have to be, you know cash under the mattress. But early in my career, I was like, I gotta have. You know, first it was three, then it was six, then mm-hmm. when I got better, it was twelve. And it's just you—you you have a lot of confidence to make risky moves when there's a big mattress to land on. Yeah you know, are a big net to catch you. That's the first thing. The second thing is I have an incredibly supportive wife who, uh, man, if you don't have one of those, you got to go get one. Hey man, uh, it's hey just, yep. she uh, not only has supported me emotionally, uh, but you know, one of the big steps with this was if you're going to stop working 60 hours a week, you know, Or if you were going to move, did you want to keep doing it 60 hours a week? Because that's what it takes to earn you know, 200 grand in the Bay Area is yeah. to work like 50, 60 hours a week. And you know, do you want to keep doing that? And the answer was not really. I'm kind of burnt out. I would like to slow roll this. I would like to be able to take clients that are the right fit, not just the ones I'm referred to. And so she agreed to go back to work um, 32 hours a week. And I'm doing this really 20 or 30 hours a week and helping out with uh, the parenting a lot more than I used to. Yeah. So it's created a little more balance in our life. I don't have to rush so much to try and get those clients or we're going to lose our house. Uh, so that's really great. And then the third one is I'm just, I'm a man of faith. I've been brand loyal to Jesus for, for a lot of my life. And if you have a higher power, you believe in whoever they are, if you truly believe in them, um, it means you in your darkest moments, you're never alone. Yeah. You know, and that's, I'm not saying you have to have that. It's not the only way to do it, but gosh, if you can find a way, it's
0: very useful. Absolutely. No, a hundred percent. Um, what type of courage do you think is important then for entrepreneurs just starting off?
1: <laughs> I heard you ask this question as I was doing my research on being on the show and, uh, I was like, well, can I have a comprehensive list of all the types of courage? That would be helpful. Mm. Um, But I don't know if that's, if you have that, do you want to go over that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a comprehensive list.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that I, is important in all kinds of sales. Well, first of all, to do what I did is a a pretty small leap. One, I'd done it myself. I've been through, I was through the process. Then I did the process and quite frankly the hardest thing about starting your own business is the sales and i kind of have that figured out so that wasn't as scary as it would be if i was starting a restaurant or a construction company or you know something else that out of your I, element right yeah out yeah. of my element or didn't rely so heavily on my skill set for success so but when i'm thinking about any person just trying to be successful in sales, which sales is kind of like starting your own business it 's mm-hmm. like entrepreneurship light you know <laughs> uh, you 're commissioned heavily you don 't get paid per hour nearly what you 're worth, and yeah. so there is an, an entrepreneurial element to it belief, whatever you want to label that as belief in yourself, belief in your necessity to society, belief in what you sell, you know belief in your own skill sets. Everyone is going to require a different amount of belief. But I have this thing called the sniff test that I just, I don't I didn't invent it. It's just the way I explain it, which is when you walk into a sales meeting, at some point, the client's going to look at you in the eye and they're going to ask their version of, should I buy from you? Is this a good deal? Am I making a mistake? They're going to ask their version of that, whatever that is, it's going to be very near the end of the sales process. And if you cannot look them in the eye and at the core of your being go, yeah. You should, then something will be off. Mm-hmm. You know, people buy with emotion and they justify with logic. Dale Carnegie, I think, said that. Yeah. The the challenge is that if we cannot be truly at peace with our role in sales and our ability to do it and what we sell and that whole algorithm, it has to balance on the positive. And if it doesn't, when you look him in the eye and say, Oh, yes, you should. It's not going to smell right. And they're not going to buy from you because their gut is turning. Mm. And they may not even know why they won't buy from you. And you may never even know that that's what they're smelling, but something just doesn't smell right. And they're not going to make the gut decision. And that requires, you have to have the courage to believe in yourself. You have to have the courage to believe in your process and what you sell. And there's that complex algorithm of belief. You have to have the courage to believe. Yeah. or you're
0: just not going to do well. Wow. And so you talked earlier about, you know, cold calls, 60 cold calls this morning. That's scary for some people that, the, you know, is that what it is? Is it the mindset that they don't believe in themselves enough to make those calls in the companies? Cause I, I know whenever I start making calls, I start thinking, man, I'm disturbing these people. I'm interrupting their day. Mm-hmm. You have to know that what you're calling with is worth it to them. This is valuable to them and they need to know about it.
1: Uh, Yeah, that's certainly part of it. And, but I mean, you don't know, it's actually, I would even take it a step further than that. I know for a fact, 80, 90% of the people I call, it's not what they need and they shouldn't buy it. Hmm. But how else am I going to know that? How Hmm. else are they going to know that? And is it really fair to the one that desperately needs what I want and has no other way to find me? to be so afraid of my, um, I mean, realistically getting a cold call from a really nice person is actually kind of a fun experience. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know if you've, one of my favorite things when I used to cold call, my goal was to, to do three things, break the pattern, learn a piece of information, make them laugh. If I could do oh. all three of those things, one of my favorite questions to ask, I would just, when the phone, I I'd try and qualify, try and get some information, a name, an email, a phone number, a, employee count. And then I'd say, and I'm just, I'm curious uh, on a scale of one to 10, am I the worst cold call you've had today or the least, <laughs> right? Hey, are you a, are you a salad dressing person? Or are you that garbage oil and vinaigrette? You know, like you just say something to be a human to this person. Yep. And, um, that I, the courage to cold call is, is a couple different things. You know, there's that, that, that element of like, let's just, I can make someone's day better by cold calling them if I'm really good at what I do and I'm really confident and I really believe in myself because I understand getting a cold call, even a bad cold call, isn't that big a deal. Like it really won't mess up your day for more than a few minutes. It's really not that big a deal. But the other part of it is I can be an ambassador for the things I believe in. Uh, Another Great cold cold call I had because I don't do much of it anymore, but I make all my clients usually, unless they can convince me not to, I make them do some cold calling because it's just this microcosm of the entire sales process. Yeah, okay. I remember calling a person and he's like, you, you know, you soulless, horrible person. If I could drive over and <laughs> shoot you in the face, I'd do it or something sure. hyperbolic <laughs> like that. And he hung up the phone and I called him right back immediately. And he picked up the phone and he just started swearing at me. And as soon as I got a breath and I said, Hey, Dave, are you okay? He's like, excuse me. And I said, I do this a lot, you know, and no no one's ever really happy to hear from me, but I've never quite had a response like this. Are you doing all right? Can I send you like a cup of coffee or a donut or something, man? You seem to be having a tough day. And we ended up talking for almost 15 minutes. Wow. Just about, yeah, he had had a really tough day, a really bad streak. I encouraged him. I ended up, I did send him a cup of coffee. Um, and uh, guess what? I felt more like a human when I was done. Yeah. That really wasn't for him. That was for me.
0: Yeah.
1: And it just cleaned up some some funky feelings I had. And I think the courage to just be a person,
0: yeah.
1: to just be a real person, not an auto dialer looking for dollars. You can cold call as a real person and improve people's lives if you yep. just do it well and you get out of your own head. And you have belief in yourself and what you do.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And when they say no, or I'm not interested, it's not you they're rejecting. It's the idea. It's, it's at the moment. You could call them back in two weeks and they'll be slobbering all over themselves running to buy. Weeks, you know,
1: man, you call back in 90 minutes. Yeah, I can't tell a guy has come to my office before and been <laughs> like, gosh, this guy was so mean to me. And I just feel terrible. I'm like, okay. So, you know, hey, Siri, remind me 75 minutes you know uh and and the, and it will go off and I'll oh she's actually talking <laughs> <you>. sorry sir <laughs> um and uh and you'll go and I, the, my watch would go off and I'd go over to his desk and I'd be like let's call him back and he would call back and not even remember that my guy had called him 90 minutes ago yeah and because he wasn't a human he didn't actually break through the human barrier so uh, the impact we make as salespeople can both be hugely traumatic, hugely beneficial, but it also can be completely insignificant. And it's just nice to know where we are in the, in the, in the stream sometimes.
0: Very cool. So do you have people working for you? For sales?
1: Uh, not right now. Right now I am a solopreneur, but solopreneur. I did, uh, I was a leader on a team when I worked at insight. Um, and, you know, I've, I have other clients where basically there's multiple people that are trying to figure out how to do this. And so, yeah. and I always, I love hiring salespeople by the two. Um, it creates a great, if you can afford it, yeah. it creates a great competitive there you go. environment where they can uh, have objective metrics. They're kind of challenging each other on. Nice. And uh, it's not always financially doable for a company, but it's, it's a pretty cool way to do it.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Um, so, with your past employees and people that work for you, if I was to bump into any of them on the road and ask them what type of leader you are, what do you think they'd tell me? What kind of leader are you?
1: Well, again, do you have a comprehensive list <laughs> uh, <laughs> that I can pick from? Uh, I can tell you the leader I want to be. Okay. Uh, I want to be the leader that is a servant. And so uh, the, the old joke is if you're hitting quota, I work for you, not the other way around. And so I want to help people be successful. If that means that I need to give them a little tough love and show them the way, I want to be able to do that. If I can, if the best way I can serve is to simply stay back and help them get unstuck when they call me, I want to be that. But sales is a cold game. It's a cold, hard game. And any person that is going, if you can find a way to treat your salespeople like people first and revenue generators second, Mm. you can be successful in any industry uh, with any product, with any group of people that really wanna be successful. But there's, you know, the joke is there's only three things. There's, you know, do you know what to do? Are you doing it? Um, And then realistically, that last one is, uh, are you doing it right? You know, so do you know how to do it? Are you doing it? And are you bad at it? And if yeah. you can just get rid of the bad at it one, then you know, that's just training, training and, and hiring the right people. Then it's, do you know what to do? And are you doing it? Yeah. And good sales management, good leadership is really just about that last one is, do you know what to do? And are you doing it? Yeah. And if you can find a way to treat a person like a person first, and then focus in on those two things, you're going to be successful. Yep.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Very cool. So what's next for you? You talked about some, uh, online courses coming up. What do you got in mind? Uh,
1: the easy one, well, lowest hanging fruit, but it's not easy. I spent the last six years building a referral network that generated a hundred referrals a year, uh for an MSP that allowed me to, you know, basically have 50 ish qualified prospects every year.
0: Wow!
1: And, um, that process took me years to put together. And because I am who I am, it's highly teachable and it nice. is, it's highly transferable. It's systemized. It's easy to understand. And I'm just going through the process right now with a couple clients that I brought in for free. And I'm just teaching them that process in exchange for the ability to take those recordings and and turn them into a course of something. Cool. So that's the first thing is just how do you build a network from scratch that mm-hmm. produces? and that's. How do you spot them? How do you, you know, once you know who they are and you can tell the good ones from the bad ones, how do you nurture them? How do you activate them? How do you reward them? You know, it's all kind of that, that process. Very cool. So see me Q20, Q1 2023 and it should be ready.
0: <laughs> okay, there you go. Absolutely. Well, Robert, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. If people want to get in touch with you, learn more about reclaiming sales, how can they find you? What's your website?
1: Uh, my favorite website these days. Well, so it's reclaimingsales.com. If you want to hear about the podcast or if you want to hear about the coaching, but club.reclaimingsales.com is the book club and it's the easiest way to make sure you're getting a little bit better every month. And, uh, there's not a professional alive who isn't in sales to some degree or another.
0: Absolutely. What book are you guys looking at? What book are you looking at? So last
1: month month it was never split the difference this month. It is, I believe Go givers sell more. Okay, but every month at the end of so every month we read a book together, then we do a virtual discussion. It's a Q and A led by an expert in the book, nice. and then at the end we vote on the next book. So nice. the books are whatever the group wants it to be.
0: Very cool. And your podcast? Tell me about your podcast.
1: You know the podcast. It uh, I'm not going to lie. If you went looked at it right now, it's uh, not quite up to date. Started okay. off weekly. Now it's monthly. This week, it's probably bi-monthly or (laughs) I guess I just didn't get to it this month. But uh, I want to tell stories of people who are great at sales. So we all know that narcissistic Mm -hmm. gold tooth, three button suit guy that could, (laughs) you know, uh, sell ice to an Eskimo or, you know, something which basically is something they don't need. Right. And we know those people we don't want to be like. I just want to hear some stories from people I wouldn't mind being like. So I want successful sales professionals that have done this without selling their soul. that can just tell us what it's like and how they got there, even if they don't know how they got there, uh, just to tell those stories.
0: Cool. And what's the name of the podcast?
1: That's Reclaiming Sales. Excellent. Trying to be on point with the branding.
0: Absolutely. So, Good job. All right. Well, I will make sure all those links are in the show notes so people know how to get in touch with you and, and follow you and hopefully they reach out and join the book club. That'd be awesome.
1: Well, thank you so much. And thank you for having me on the show. This was great.
0: Yeah. No problem. Loved it. All right. Listeners, hope you guys were taking a lot of notes, a lot of good takeaways here. Uh, Definitely check out uh, Reclaiming Sales and check into the book club, club club.reclaimingsales.com. Correct. Is that correct? Awesome. All right. And share this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues. Anybody that you know is in business, they are in sales, whether they know it or not. So definitely share this episode with them and stay tuned because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now.